Welcome to Rock Candy. Hi. Your weekly podcast bringing you sweet treats from the world of music. And we're your hosts. I'm Maggie. I'm Ashley. And you might be like, wow, y'all just like dove right into this balls mm. first. And we're going to say, yes, we did. Because we have a super deluxe long episode for y'all today. Yeah. And we, <laughs> we just... were determined not to make this a two-parter. Yeah. So we we're can't. we're just, we're going balls out. So you're going to have to suffer with us for... Better part of two hours, probably. Yeah. So. But I mean, like, I don't know. We've done it before. Yeah. We'll do it again. Yeah. Right now. <laughs> it's happening. Yes. It's happening. It's happening. Finally, we're telling the most wonderful and epic tale of a wonderful man. Yeah. Named Dio. Ronnie James Dio. Sir Dio. Yeah. If you're nasty. <laughs> <laughs> Baby. He's, he's not a sir, but I mean, yeah. yeah, yeah I mean, sure. like. He doesn't strike me as like is, a nasty boy. He is heavy metal royalty, so oh, yes. I guess we do have to call him sir. We can keep up with the royalty themes and that. Yes, he is the I would king of metal, or is that too much? Not a duke. Not inaccurate. A duke of metal. Duke of metal. No. Duke metal. <laughs> Maybe no. And again, to keep going balls deep. Let me tell you all about the beer I'm drinking. It's thematic. I love that a few years ago, we're like, we're not doing it. No, here we are. Fucking assholes. What? We still just keep getting thematic beers. Oh, yeah. we can't stop. Won't stop. Yeah. But if you see it. You have to. You're going to grab it. Yeah, so. you have to. You have no choice. Uh, tonight, I'm drinking Neon Rainbows, a New England style IPA from Oma Gang. Do we have Oma Gang recently? No, we didn't. I just We sure like we did. did. We absolutely did. Did we? <laughs> yeah, we've had it a couple times very recently. No, I mean, like, we've had it, but not on the show. No, we have. Okay, but yeah, so this is also from <laughs> Oma Gang, local hometown heroes for us. Great beer. Uh, actually, quite quite tasty, you know, basic, good IPA. Mm-hmm. It's perfectly like, fine. <laughs> I, like, how excited do you want me to get? Astounding review. It's perfectly fine. Honestly, I don't get excited over IPAs. Right. So. Like, how excited do you expect me to get over an IPA? Right. Like, this is fine. It's definitely drinkable. If yeah. someone gave it to me, I would not be mad. Yeah. Um, Could make a nice breakfast IPA if you, like, throw, like, a hint oh. of orange juice in with it. Yeah, have that with your brunch. Yeah, like, that would make a good beer mosa. Is oh. if you mix this with orange juice, it would actually probably be perfect. Also, a, kind of a brass monkey, but you know, yeah, but like a fancy brass monkey, fancy, yeah. fancy monkey, pinky out monkey. Yeah, this this is definitely a pinky out type of monkey. Uh but also oh. it makes sense because it they're they're in Cooperstown, New York, mm-hmm. which is towards Central New York. Correct. And so is Dio. Dio, homegrown Central New York. Indeed. Also, I do really want to read this description of okay. <laughs> neon rainbows it's enchanting oh vibrant evanescent Ooh. it will wake you up inside that that doesn't say that <laughs> it's like did it really say that because i'm kind of here for that <laughs> this full spectrum beer is our unicorn alluringly hazy and irresistibly juicy it's unfiltered i got really sexy seeing yeah. this all of a sudden <laughs> Okay, I guess that's where we're going. Double dry hopped and gone too soon. Keep it cold, drink it fresh, keep it secret, keep, keep it, it safe. safe. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yes, it is thematic for those plebes who do not know because Dio 
has, I think, one of his best songs is Like a Rainbow in the Dark. Yeah, definitely one he is absolutely most famous for. (laughs) I fucking love that song. It's a really, really good uh, song you can be very dramatic with. And I like that. We should we should do that for karaoke. Oh yeah, one hundred. Yeah, have we done that for karaoke? No, we have not. All right, what is wrong with us? We're fucking up. I don't know. All right, well, maestro. We have a lot to talk about, so let's get into it. All right, my balls are out. All right, let's go. Ready to be tickled? Yes. <laughs> Pink hey. and all shades of red. Yeah, I like them front beans. Maybe maybe blue front beans. I'd like some blue front beans. <laughs> It's a fancy dish at a nice restaurant. Mm. I'll have your be- your finest blue front beans. <laughs> rest, the waiter just looks at you like, what? You feel like you're making a dick joke. You're making a dick joke, aren't you? He's trying not to laugh. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Let's. Yes. Enough about, All right. No enough more about front, front beans. beans. Let's talk about Dio. Yeah. All right. So Ronald James Padavona was born on July 10th, 1942. Despite having been born in Portsmouth, New Hampshire, he grew up in Cortland, mm. a small town in central New York with a large Italian population of which his family was part. And for the most part, Ronnie had a pretty good middle class upbringing. Though his grandparents were Italian immigrants and his parents worked really hard, he didn't want for munch. Munch. Munching. He didn't want for much. <laughs> he was a happy-go-lucky kid. That was absolutely in love with sports, as any what? young boy at the time was. This does not read to who I think Dio he is. He was a super big sports fan his entire life. Sports! If he wasn't on tour or making music, he was watching sports. Sports! Sports! <laughs> I love it. All sports? Um, He really liked the New York Giants. Um, Poor baby. And I think he liked I baseball think. a lot. Baseball's a good one. Hockey, maybe? I don't know. You know, sports. You know, whatever they do with sports. (laughs) Whatever sports are. (laughs) You know, the stickball. What what sports are popular nowadays? you know, the net goal and all of those things. Those are sports, right? Yeah, throw the ball. The the pigskin. The pigskin. The pigskin. (laughs) Yes. Pigskin wins every time. But his athletic pursuits would take a back seat to music when he was six years old. Whoa. Early. All right. Early. Despite his protests, Ronnie's father, Pat, forced him to pick an instrument to learn. An unwilling Ronnie's response was, uh, what are my choices? Oh, Ronnie, I need you to pick an instrument. You just can't be a one dimensional boy. You need an instrument. Think of your mother. (laughs) So they flipped on the radio and Pat said, pick one that makes the sound you like. Ronnie's like, okay, that one. Can I go play ball now? (laughs) It turns out he picked the trumpet. What? Yeah. Love it. Ronnie was not happy with his choice, but for the next 12 years, the trumpet was his constant companion. I hate you, trumpet. (laughs) The trumpet is about as big as he is. (laughs) Oh, he never gets taller than 5'3". I don't know if you guys know this, but Ronnie James Dio was only about 5'3". Same height as Glenn Danzig. Yes. Same height as me. Yeah. He was a very tiny man with a really big head. And a loud voice that could make the angels sing. Exactly. 
So he got very good at playing the trumpet, practicing for two hours every single day. Damn. He would regularly perform at state and national conferences and contests while in grade school, winning high marks for his prowess. Even though he hated it? Even though he hated it. He, like, his dad was like, no, you need to stick with this. Wow. This is how you're going to learn discipline and responsibility. And he did. I wish more parents were like that. And I think he realized, like, even though he didn't like doing it, he he knew he was really good at it. And he liked receiving, like... The praise for being so good at it. You're doing so good, Ronnie. You keep yeah. up with that trumpet. You're gonna go places. You're gonna go far, kid. With that, with that horn. He would often get comments by onlookers, amazed at how this tiny guy had so much power in his lungs. But as he became a teenager, he realized playing the trumpet wasn't getting him any chicks. What? No way. What? I don't know. Well, you know what he needs to do? Join a ska band. <laughs> I think we're a bit far away from Scott at this point, what? but you know, he could have invented it. He could have. <laughs> and look at where he is now. <laughs> Seriously. You know, king of metal or, you know, Ska guy. Ska guy. It's so much puss. <laughs> Sky, guess, Sky, Sky guy. guy. Ska guy gets a lot of puss. Yeah. But thankfully, he met some dudes that had stellar taste in music. Paul Consro and Nikki Pantis. Paul introduced him to the Blues, Little Richard and the Everly Brothers, and of course, Elvis. And Nikki, who had become Ronnie's closest friend, was the cool upperclassman that Ronnie always wanted to be. Yeah, Nikki's cool. I want to be Nikki. Everybody wants to be Nikki. Everybody wants to be Nikki. Along with drummer Tommy Rogers, bassist John Alcorn, and saxophonist John Kane, Ronnie and Nikki started their first band, The Vegas Kings, in 1957. The Vegas Kings? Yeah, because they thought... Las Vegas is cool, you know, and Kings, kings is cool, cool. So, like, put them together. You got Vegas Kings. You're in upstate New York, <laughs> central New York, <laughs> yeah. kid. Honey. So, I guess that makes sense because they needed to be extra cool because they were from central New York. This I does sound like the name of a band from central New York, Absolutely. <laughs> but not before Ronnie decided to change his name. He needed something that was powerful but cool so, of course, he looked to the Italian Mafia. Oh, okay. Sure. He changed his last name to Dio after Johnny Dio, a Mafia kingpin known for an acid attack on a journalist and creating fake labor unions for Jimmy Hoffa. Well, shit, that's <laughs> not... I thought he was Dio because, like, it kind of reminds me of, like, Diablo, like the devil. Well, Dio... Is also um, the word for God, God in Italian. Yeah. So there and was Spanish. a ru- a rumor going around that like his grandmother told grandmother told him he should name himself Dio because, you know, he's a child of God and Dio means God and that's complete bullshit. That's he not was true. A mafia guy. He named himself after a mafia guy. Adorable. <laughs> the boys became a popular band in the area. However, they cycled through a few musicians and names eventually landing on Ronnie and the Red Caps. <laughs> and Ronnie himself fell Please in... Please tell me they wore red hats, at least. I don't think so. Wh- it was a take on another famous band that was called, like, Somebody in the Blue Caps. So they were like, <laughs> Ronnie and the Red Caps, yeah! All right. Yeah. And Ronnie himself fell into the role of bass player and lead singer. At first, he didn't think he, was any- he would be any good at vocals, but soon he realized not only was he passable... He was fucking great at it. Yup. 
and he could sing almost anything, and his years blowing his lungs out on the trumpet meant he had a lot of power behind his vocals. Yep. Yeah. Yo, trumpet ain't easy. It's not. It's hard out here for a trumpet. (laughs) It's hard out here for the horn section. It's not, actually. The horn section is like the most celebrated section ever. They bring the energy. I guess, but like, come on, respect the woodwinds. (laughs) Jesus. In 1960, Ronnie graduated from high school and attempted to go to college. He try had, and ca- he, would you say that he gave it the old college try? Nah, get out. Okay, bye. <laughs> I'm doing this by myself. Get out. <laughs> I don't need your dumb face. <laughs> he headed to the University of Buffalo to study pharmacology, but the beckoning call of music brought him back home after only a year. Yeah, I fucking bet. That sounds terrible. First of all, you it's went to fun. UB. <laughs> all right? Like, I get you're from central New York. <laughs> you but went like, to U of Buff. You went no. to U of Buff. Yeah. But, like, man, Buffalo's depressing. It wasn't even known as Buffalo Getlo at that point. It was just Buffalo. <laughs> I mean, they still probably had those sweet wings, though. Maybe? You know what? They might not even have the good wings. When were buffalo wings invented? No idea. This is not a buffalo wing podcast. No, I wish it was. (laughs) It also, like, pharmacology? Yeah. Dio? Yeah. As a pharmacologist? Can you imagine, like, going up to get, going up to the pharmacy in Walmart (laughs) to get your prescriptions for birth control and omeprazole and being like, hey pharmacist Dio. Oh my gosh. It's just Dio with his long ass hair. Wearing a pharmacist ca- wearing, coat. But with like a full leather outfit underneath it with like flares and yep. bell sleeves. And he's like, holy birth control. <laughs> you don't want no kids so you take these pills. Holy ortho. <laughs> ortho tricycling. <laughs> And you're like, sir, I just I just I kinda, want my pills. I kind of like this canon for him. I like this this trajectory. Dio. Yeah. <laughs> Pharmadio. <laughs> he continued playing with Ronnie and the Redcaps, recording singles and trying to catch his big break. Fuck yeah. And only a few years later, Ronnie was one of 73 million Americans to see the Beatles play on the Ed Sullivan Show. And everything changed the day he saw the Beatles perform on the Ed Sullivan Show. I mean, not really. Like, a little bit, but not really. (laughs) He's like, I'm already doing this. Yeah, like, they were everything Ronnie and his band were trying to be. And because of that, people were finally starting to pay attention Mm. Soon enough, these guys were getting paid up to $10,000 a weekend just playing shows around Cortland. What? Because, like, everybody wanted a band that was kind of like the Beatles, but you couldn't get the Beatles because you're in fucking Cortland. <laughs> so they're like, yeah, Ronnie and the Redcaps, that'll do. How dare you? Cortland that, is a <laughs> bustling hub <laughs> of, of culture. 20,000 people. <laughs> Might I remind you, I love Cortland. Cortland is delightful. Oh, yeah. We were there just last year and it was wonderful. It was completely grand. I love it. <laughs> Plan on heading back. Yes. But also, a bustling hub of culture it is not. Not exactly. It's barely a bustling hub. It's a hub. Questionable about the hustling. Nice little museum, though. We went to a museum? Yeah, the little natural history museum. 
Oh, we did go there. Yeah, it was nice. That was nice. They that had a big nice. old skeleton hanging from the ceiling. They did. That was pretty cool. That was cool. Yeah. <laughs> so that's our knowledge on Cortland. So if you're Thanks ever in listening. the Finger Lakes region, go to Cortland. You can also find Dio's house. Indeed. We went there and we got our picture taken outside of it. We like did. fucking weirdos. <laughs> While it was snowing real hard. Yeah. <laughs> so this period was dotted with starts and stops and a revolving door of band members. They changed their name to Ronnie Dio and the Prophets, had a recurring stint at a resort in Lake George, New York, lost their original drummer and gained another, then gained a new manager and a booking agent. Jeez, okay, wow. This is a lot going on in, like, what, a year? Yes. (laughs) All right. Ronnie and their booking agent started making regular trips to New York City, contacting anyone that could help them out. And most of their time was spent haunting the Brill Building at 1619 Broadway in Manhattan. Okay. The Brill Building was the hub of 1960s pop music, where huge names like Carole King and Jerry Goffin, Barry Mann, who we recently talked about on our Patreon episodes because he sued La Tigra for allegedly stealing his Who Put the Bomp shit on their 1999 song Decepticon, which is bullshit. Because he stole that song from other people. Yep. Cool. Well, so like Paul Simon and Andy Kim and so many more people wrote massive hits here. Songs like Yakety Yak. Hey, don't talk back. Yeah. Will You Love Me Tomorrow and The Locomotion, among hundreds of others, were written here. Well, shit. Like basically, if you can pick out any pop song from the 60s, it was written at the the Brill Building. All right. Yeah. So it seemed like Ronnie Dio and the Prophets would be a perfect fit here. That's exactly what they were trying to do. I can't with Ronnie Dio and the Prophets, I know. though. Like, <laughs> so the type of music they're playing then is kind of more along the lines of, like, you know, the early rock yeah, early, that was coming out. like, pop crooners and stuff like yeah. that. Yeah. I can't even picture that. Yeah. He's so clean cut with, like, a half pompadour and, like, a suit with a skinny tie doesn't look anything like the Dio that we know of. Are there clips of the songs anywhere? Oh, I'm sure. They oh recorded God. a ton of stuff at I this point. Can't. All right. I can't even picture this. It is a sight to behold. Wow. Indeed. Yeah. But yeah. So it seemed that they would be a perfect fit, fit but no matter what they recorded, it went nowhere. Oh. They released... 10 singles from 1962 to 1965, but even the songs that were huge hits for other artists were duds for the profits. That's some bullshit. Yeah. They got decent radio play, however, which landed them a steady gig at a place called Googies <laughs> in Waterbury, Connecticut, this time under the name The Electric Elves. Slowly, Slow- but surely. Slowly getting there. Slowly. Dio's like, you know what's cool, though? Elves. <laughs> you know what's cool? Like bell bottoms? <laughs> That's cool. This would be a tragic turning point in oh. Ronnie's career. Oh no. On their way home from a gig at Googie's on February 12th, 1968, a drunk driver struck the band's van head on. Everyone was severely injured. Ronnie was tossed into the windshield and <gasps> tore his scalp open. <gasps> Keyboardist Rick Thaler had a broken ankle and was knocked unconscious, and drummer Gary Driscoll's legs had been crushed. Oh, my God. But Nikki, the driver and Ronnie's best friend, died instantly after being crushed by the steering wheel. Oh, no. 
Yeah. Oh. That was really devastating for everybody, but especially him because it was his best friend since they were kids, since they were like 12 or 13. Holy shit. That's awful. What happened to the drunk driver? Did he just like die? No, the drunk driver was fucking fine. Oh, well, fucking course he was. And like people were like dragging Dio out of the car and like trying to get everybody out. And the drunk driver just like saunters up to Dio and is like, what's going on, man? And Dio fucking lunged for him and they had to like pull him back like three times to get him off this guy. Your scalp is bleeding. Your yeah. scalp is falling off, Dio. Yeah, your we scalp can't... is falling off. You need to stop. I, I get, get it. it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, that's fucking terrible. Yeah. That fucking sucks when your best friend is killed by a drunk driver and, and everybody else in your band is like torn up too. Yeah, I hope that fucking dude never saw the back seat of a, or back of a, the front seat of a car. I don't know. You know what? He never drove again. You know what? Just don't drive ever again. Yeah. Walk everywhere for the rest of your life, bitch. But granted, this was the 60s. He's probably living a totally fine life. Well, it looks like you only did this once, so uh, we're just going to give a slap on the wrist and uh, tell you... And erase it from your record, and you are free to offend again. Ooh, a white man. Yeah, you're probably fine. Yeah. After a long recovery period, the band decided to carry on. They added keyboardist Mickey Lee Sewell and shortened their name to The Elves and eventually to just Elf. <laughs> it's a great name. It's, it's, it's a it's name. Cute. It's a cute name. It's a name. Yeah. Isn't it? <laughs> Along with the name change was a change in musical direction. The music they were writing drifted away from 60s pop and gravitated towards 70s rock like The Who and Deep Purple. Hell yeah. Ronnie's vocals changed dramatically as well. He was no longer trying to imitate the clean-cut crooners of the 60s. It was totally okay to be gritty and powerful, Mm -hmm. so he embraced the force behind his voice. Yeah. The band also updated their wardrobes. Gone were the matching suits of Ronnie Dio and the Prophets. In were bell-bottoms and long hair. Mm. But, like, that long hair. Majestic. They all had great hair. Right? Yeah, they... (laughs) I think it's funny, though, because at this point, like... Dudes that had curly hair had absolutely no idea how to care for the curly hair. Mm-mm. So they would just brush the hell out of it and it would just be a, frizz, a wild mess. rat's nest yeah. of hair. It's like, but we, if you just use like one product, like just toss like a little bit of mousse in there and it's still wet, you're so going to be fine. It'll be great. No? You know, the only one who really understood that was Lindsey Buckingham. Yeah. I'll give him credit for that. Nothing else. He's really good at doing his hair. He's really good at being a dick. So (laughs) anyway, they honed their rock and roll skills around New York for a while until their manager got them an audition with Columbia Records president Clive Davis. It's about fucking time, manager. In 1972. Well, this was a new manager. So it's about fucking time. New manager. (laughs) Manager in general. Manager version (laughs) 5.0. As if that wasn't anxiety-inducing enough, the manager invited the boys' heroes, Roger Glover and Ian Pace, bassist and drummer for Deep Purple, respectively. They figured if Clive passed on Elf, maybe these guys would sign them to their new label, Purple Records. Uh, I mean, you know. Maybe. Purple. It makes sense as a name, yes. No, yeah, yeah. they're, they're, They're thematic. They're keeping it up. Can't say these boys aren't thematic. Yeah. Elf blew them all away. 
Elf. Elf, yeah. I love it, though. Clive signed them to Columbia in the U.S., and Roger signed them to Purple Records in the U.K. Nice. And things moved very quickly. For having languished in this, like, central New York musical roundabout for such a long time, shit moved so quickly as soon as they got a record deal. Wow. Within a month, they'd finished recording their first album. The self-titled record was released in August 1972, and the cover featured a pretty convincing photo of Dio as an elf. Oh, Complete with pointy ears and hooked nose. He forsook his stage name on this album using his birth name of Ronald Padavona as a tribute to his parents. Oh, he's like, all right, mom and dad, I'll thank you. Yeah. It's only this album, though. No, well, back. he was really particular about how he was credited oh, on his albums. Interesting. And I think he actually used Ronald Padavona on a lot of his albums. Oh. Um, I don't really know why, but they why used, not? he was particular about a, a lot of things. It was interesting. After a wildly successful tour with Deep Purple that grew the band's fame and fan base exponentially, they went back home to regular lives. At this point, Ronnie had been married for almost 10 years. Wait, what? Yeah, he got married in 1963 what? to a woman named Loretta, and they had adopted a son together named Dan Padavona, Aww. who at this point is currently a very like popular horror Horror novelist. Oh. So apparently he has really good horror novels. Okay. Dan Patavonia. Patavona. Patavona. Yeah. I like Patavonia. It's fine. It sounds like Patagonia. Yeah, that's why. Which I was is a clothing it. brand. Yeah. <laughs> Very For, like hiking. Bougie, expensive hiking. Dan likes hiking brand. and writing horror novels. <laughs> also, I thought you were gonna say he's a very famous hoarder, so <laughs> Glad it was horror novels. If you could get famous and rich by being a hoarder, I might do it. I don't know. The anxiety would... it would induce. Oh, in I wouldn't life. live in the house where I am hoarding. <laughs> I would just hoard things in that house and go buy another one to live in. All right. Yeah. That's that's a good con. <laughs> <laughs> that marriage, however, was on the rocks. And by 1973, he and Loretta would be divorced. Yeah, that kind of makes sense. He was never around. He was always on the road. Yeah. And she didn't like that. Which, I mean, like, totally get it. But also, like, you knew what you were signing up for. Kind of. But, like, back when they got married, he was just, you know, Ronnie and the Redcaps playing around the Finger Lakes. So (laughs) it was a lot different now that he was, like, touring the UK with Deep Purple and she was left alone to take care of their son. Yeah. I guess if, if if I got that cool, I get it. <laughs> My husband's too cool for me. I must leave. I mean, I'm just saying. You went from Ronnie and the Redcaps to Elf. To fucking Ronnie Dio in Elf. As an Elf? <laughs> yeah. Ronnie Dio is an Elf. If he was still alive. Wait, was he still alive when Elf came out? The movie? When that came out in the early 2000s? So Maybe. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. So he should have been Elf instead of Will Ferrell. <laughs> he should have at least, like... Had a, had a cameo in that. You fucked up, movie people. You did. Surprise, surprise. Yeah. So yeah, by 1973, he and Loretta were divorced. And compounding that wound, his cousin David Rock Feinstein announced he was leaving the band. Oh. He was a guitarist since, like, Ronnie and the Prophets, I think. And the guitarist had been a pillar of support to Ronnie the whole time. Mm. 
Now Ronnie was kind of lost without his cousin or any clear direction on what to do next with Elf. Yeah. I mean, it seems like within just a few years, he went through a lot. You know, his best friend died. Mm -hmm. He gets divorced. He then loses his cousin out of the band. Like, that's a fucking lot. And all of a sudden, he's, like, thrown into opening for Deep Purple. Deep fucking purple. One of the most, one of the biggest British rock bands at the time. So, yeah, that's a lot to handle right now. I can imagine just standing like, what the fuck am I supposed to do with this? (laughs) That's what I would feel like anyway. But eventually they got the call to go back into the studio This time they got to record at Virgin Records CEO Richard Branson's English country estate called The Manor. I'm surprised it wasn't called The Butt Ship. It's like a (laughs) spaceship, but it looks like a butt. (laughs) I don't know. I couldn't come up with anything more creative. Because Bezos has a spaceship shaped like a dick. Yeah. so And they're just constantly trying to fuck each other. Constantly trying. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, That Uh... makes sense. So, yeah. His country estate called the Butt Ship, which seems to which seems like a complete contrast to the songs which were written in Cortland, New York. Like, you on the one hand you're in Cortland, pretty humble. Yeah. The next you're in Richard fucking Branson's estate, estate. in you know rural England recording a, a fucking album. Flourish the pinky. Yeah. Again, the album was recorded in one month. Then released in April 1974. And the band named it Carolina County Ball. But for some reason, it was renamed LA-59 for release in America? What? I don't know. He even, same... in the, even in the book that I read, he was like, I don't know why they did that. <laughs> I got nothing. <laughs> no fucking reason. All right. Whatever, Columbia. I guess. While the rest of the boys went home... <laughs> I guess Carolina County Ball is just not American enough for American audiences. <laughs> it's so stupid. Yeah, now I'm thinking about it. Like, wait, what? they want to pay homage to the fact that they were like the Las Vegas Kings. No, L.A. is not Las Vegas. I got nothing. I I, I don't know. Nothing. They had a song on the album called L.A. 59, but like it. Yeah, that's dumb. I don't know. That was not what they chose to name it. So yeah, while the rest of the boys went home for a well-deserved rest, Ronnie and Mickey Lee stayed in the UK to record The Butterfly Ball and Grasshopper's Feast. Okay. And it is as silly and 70s and hilarious as you think it is. Is it like (laughs) proggy metal fucking... It's more like a rock opera. Ooh. Yeah, this was a... Does he play trumpet on it? (laughs) God. I wish. If only. This was a concept album by Roger Glover, bassist of Deep Purple and Elf's producer, that was based off of a children's poem of the same name. Okay. Ronnie provided vocals for the song Love Is All, which made a small dent in the UK, but went to number one in the Netherlands, becoming Ronnie James Dio's first number one hit. All right. Yeah. In the Netherlands. Yeah. The Nether regions. (laughs) Hey. Hey. Yeah. (laughs) Number one hit you in the nether regions. Yeah. I don't know. That works. (laughs) Sure. (laughs) After the release of Carolina County Ball, Elf was hitting the big time. They toured the UK and US, again opening for Deep Purple. But this time they were playing arenas for up to 80,000 people. 
They flew from venue to venue in Deep Purple's Boeing 720 jet and consumed Ooh. any and all booze and drugs that were available, Forget. which was all of them. Oh, so are we zero days without heroin? We are not. Hmm. I mean, the band as a whole, with the exception of Dio, were really into drugs, but they never touched heroin. The hardest they went was like coke and pills. Yeah, coke, but, pills, acid, that kind of stuff. But Ronnie never really was into drugs all that much. He smoked pot. Yeah. But like he did cocaine once when a friend of, or a, another bandmate like later later on from this another bandmate like got hurt somehow and he was prescribed like prescription cocaine. Ah, yes, the white and, stuff. Yeah, and he was like, "Hey Ronnie, try this." And Ronnie's like, "No, I don't really want to." And they were sitting in their car outside the Rainbow Bar and Grill in Los Angeles. <laughs> and he was like, "No, just try it. Like it's actually legal. It's prescription." And Ronnie's like, "Okay, fine." So as soon as he put like the straw to his nose, whoop whoop that's the sound of the police. Whoop, whoop. Yeah. That's the sound that they made. Yep. And they like dragged him out of the car and put him in handcuffs. And like, he was like, I'm never doing this was again. Was his friend a fucking narc? No, it was just, it was the fucking rainbow room. And the cops were probably passing by and saw him like, like sl- in slow motion, close one nostril with the straw in the other. And we're like, no, fuck you. Boop, boop. Jail time for you, bitch. Oh, fuck that. Yeah, and, and then he was like, I never fucking did cocaine ever, ever, ever. Again. You know, that is, that is one way to get people to not do cocaine. Yeah. That's a real Pavlovian response. You know what? The one time I tried it, I heard the sirens and I was like, I don't need to do this again. They dragged me out of the car, put me in handcuffs, and that was it. That was it. That was you know? my cocaine experience, and I never want that again. My wife came running out of the Rainbow Bar and Grill, swinging her purse at me like the fucking crazy lady in, in Paperboy. The fuck? <laughs> no, you know who I'm talking about. I know exactly. She was the worst. She was the worst enemy in Paperboy. <laughs> and I never did it again. Paperboy. <laughs> Huh? Play Paperboy? Oh, no, I always play Paperboy. I still play Paperboy. I love that game. You know that kid totally does like a line right before he goes oh, out totally. to do his morning paper routine. Absolutely. He, you have to. To you deal with that to. many shitty people in that town? Holy fuck. <laughs> All the dogs, the fucking tornado of bees, that long Slim Jim guy on his uh, on his skateboard that's oh, just that like fucking guy. grooving down the street, doesn't give a fuck who He's on some shit, too. Yeah. He's on some acid. <laughs> oh, totally. Sure. Yeah. Aside from the requisite beer and pot, they partook in what they called Mandy. Oh, Mandy. You came and then, then and I, yeah, they all came. I got high. They all just came, actually. <laughs> came and got high. They were sleeping pills called Mandrax that were the UK equivalent of Quaaludes. Okay. Mixed with alcohol, they basically made you trip balls. It's basically like robo-tripping, I think. I feel like that would just put me to bed really hardcore. Right? That doesn't... All right. You know what? I haven't touched Mandy. Yeah, I don't really want to. Yeah, I just... I mean, like, unless I wanted to go to sleep, I'm not going to want Mandy. Right. Ronnie's first run-in with Mandy was at an ice cream shop in Switzerland, (laughs) where he... Hasn't that been all of our first (laughs) run-ins with Mandy? Am I right? I know. (laughs) Always in Switzerland. Not an ice cream shop. (laughs) <laughs> but yeah, he was he was on Mandy at this ice cream shop in Switzerland, and he put the ice cream cone on his head because he couldn't find his mouth. 
That's adorable. Yeah. I don't know why that's so endearing to me, but here we are. (laughs) The boys didn't go back to New York after this tour. Instead, they shacked up in London to write the third and what would be the final Elf album, Trying to Burn the Sun. Wait, that was the name of the album? Yeah. That's not like a meta. That's like a phrase for like working really hard. We're trying to burn the sun here. This is a bunch of like silly boys on tour thinking they're very clever. Let's call the new album "Trying to Burn the Sun." Dude, like, take you another know, Mandy. Have you ever thought about like trying to burn the sun? Because like you can't do it because sun is already like fire, man. <laughs> <laughs> No more Mandy. No more Mandy. You're you're cut off. <laughs> officially. While Ronnie and Mickey Lee diligently wrote and recorded during the week, on the weekends they would hang out with Richie Blackmore, founding member of Deep Purple mm-hmm. and Guitar Guru. This was the guy that practically invented heavy metal guitar. Yeah. Every single hard rock and metal musician from the late 60s on names this dude as a top influence. Mm-hmm. None more so than Ronnie. He was in awe of Richie Blackmore, and to hang out and jam with him was a dream come true. At first, he was super intimidated, but as he got to know Richie, they became good friends. Yay. But, like, Richie Blackmore was a really difficult guy to deal with. Yeah, I do remember reading about him in in the Lita Ford book. Yeah. And, like, I don't retain information, but I feel like she had, like... An interesting relationship with him. I think everybody has an interesting relationship with Richie Blackmore. Like, I know they fucked. Because apparently... Gross. Everyone. She fucked everyone in that book. Good for her, but, like, gross. No, I just mean, like, I feel like whenever I read most memoirs, like, so I fucked this person, then I fucked this (laughs) person. And I'm like, I don't care. Yeah, I don't really need to know who you fucked. I mean, like, that's cool, but that doesn't have to be, like, the centerpiece of your book. Unless it's important to the storyline. Yeah. It's kind of gratuitous. Felt the same way about Peter Hook. It's fine. Everybody does it. Anyway, the point is, yeah, um, I do recall he can be an interesting human to have a relationship with. But at this point, Richie had something up his sleeve. Oh. At this point, Deep Purple was falling apart and Richie was gearing up to make his exit. He asked Ronnie to provide vocals for a cover of the Quartermass song, Black Sheep of the Family, Mm -hmm. that would be on Richie's solo album. Of course, Ronnie jumped at the chance because, yeah, you're going to fucking do that. Richie then asked him to write the lyrics to the B-side, which would later be titled 16th Century Greensleeves. Isn't that just Greensleeves? (laughs) (laughs) I thought the same thing when I was reading. I'm like, that's... That's just green Isn't sleeves. That's just green sleeves. <laughs> green sleeves is 16th century green sleeves. God, stop doing so much Mandy, guys. All right. The Mandy is really starting to like get to you guys. I know you think it's clever. It's, it's not. not. It's not. Stop pulling each other's dicks and like start thinking about what you're actually writing here. Stop thinking with your front beans. <laughs> Stop thinking with your front beans. Start break- thinking with your head bean. Mm. 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 I like that. Yeah. He got to work right away writing a lyrical saga about a feudal lord that abducts a village woman, which pisses off the villagers to a point where they seek revenge. Good for them. This is the first time Ronnie writes lyrics with a fantasy theme, which becomes one of his trademarks. 
Wait, does Dio like fantasy? No way. <laughs> Had no idea, guys. Honestly, I'm still just having a hard time picturing him singing about something that's not fantasy. Yeah. He doesn't do it often, but yeah, yeah I mean, yeah, it's weird. It's weird just picturing him with short hair, period. Honestly. What was only supposed to be a solo single for Richie Blackmore turned into a full band. He officially left Deep Purple on June 1st, 1975 and convinced Ronnie that he would be the perfect vocalist for his new project, Richie Blackmore's Rainbow. Wow. So that was pretty quick. Like, because they got signed in what, 72? Yeah. Ish. Yeah. Yeah. They only put out three albums. Yeah. And then like that escalated. Qu- I feel that escalated quick. Escalated quickly. <laughs> it escalated quickly. But maybe it didn't. Um, maybe that's just me. No, I think it did. But also, I kind of get the impression that Richie Blackmore is a gaslighter. Why? And was kind of like convincing everybody that this is. He was like trying to do his Jedi mind tricks and be like, you want to be in my new band. You don't want. Deep Purple does not want to continue. We're going to break up. <laughs> it's like, I don't think Deep Purple. Uh, wanted to really break up really broke up no i think they wanted to break up because everybody was mad at everybody in deep purple at this point um but i don't think they actually broke up i think uh, people just left and then they replaced them with other people yeah sorry didn't do a deep dive into deep purple guys because i don't care it's called deep purple not deep dive exactly there you go The name of the band came from none other than the Rainbow Bar and Grill in Los Angeles, a favorite of Richie, Ronnie, and countless other musicians, including our dear Lemmy. Ah, yes, that's right. He literally lived, like, right next door to the Rainbow because he loved it so much. (laughs) I do remember that. Oh, my God. Like, yeah, till he died, right? Yes. He lived in the same apartment near the Rainbow for fucking decades. Yeah. He like found it in the 70s, I think, and just never left He's that like, apartment. I like it here because I'm right near my favorite bar. <laughs> That's I'm a really. Oh, so God, I won't give me all the whiskey then I won't. <laughs> We're really sorry. Rip Lemmy. We are <laughs> we, not we at all love trying... you. We're not making this fun of you. This was not making fun of you. This was just a really bad impression. Yeah. Agreed. Oh, because we love you. <laughs> it was at this time and at this bar. Where Ronnie met Wendy Gaxiola. Wendy was a waitress at the Rainbow and friends with Richie and his wife Babs. Yes, her name was Babs. Babs. Why does Wendy's name sound familiar? I do not know. Oh, okay. Because she's Wendy Dio. All right. I don't know. Well, Gaxiola sounds familiar. Yeah, that was not her maiden name. She had been married previously. Hmm. So maybe... I don't remember who the dude was that she was married to before, but I believe he was the musician. Yeah, maybe it's something like that. At first, she wasn't that into Ronnie. Well, that's her mistake. Thinking he was too short. She's a taller Mm. lady. You know what? Never mind. I get it. I rescind (laughs) that comment as a taller lady. (laughs) But he was persistent, calling her constantly and finally getting her to go out on the road with him. Wow. And Wendy and Ronnie would marry in 1978, and it would be a love affair that would stand the test of time. Oh. But back to Richie and Ronnie. <laughs> but, like, enough nice stuff. Yeah. Let's go, man. Enough fucking smoochy smoochy. Let's talk about, you know. Bullshit? Yeah. <laughs> Should have known. 
Ronnie was nearly bursting with joy after Richie asked him to join Rainbow, but worried about the other guys and Elf. What would they do if he left? Right. Well, wouldn't you know it, Richie wanted all of them to come along, too. Oh, okay. So they're just going to become Richie's rainbow. Yeah. Richie's rainbow. (laughs) I can fly twice as high. Take a look. It's in the devil. (laughs) Richie's rainbow. (laughs) With the exception of Elf's guitarist, of course, because no one is allowed to show up Richie Blackmore. Yeah. But after Elf's third album, Trying to Burn the Sun, was released in June 1975, Ronnie, along with pianist Mickey Lee Sewell, bassist Craig Gruber, and drummer Gary Driscoll left the band, effectively ending it, and joined Richie Blackmore's Rainbow. But, like, I feel bad for their guitarist, because he's probably like, but I want to come too, (laughs) It's kind of funny, because in the book that I read for this, which I'll talk about at the end, um... Dio was kind of like, yeah, you know, we broke the news to him that, like, we're all going to go join Rainbow except for him because, you know, he was the guitarist and he was totally fine with that. I'm like, I have a feeling you're remembering this very wrong, Dio. But, like, couldn't they have just brought him on as, like, a rhythm guitarist or something? Something, but I literally nobody else is allowed to be a guitarist if Richie Blackmore is around. Hmm. So, I guess. I guess. If that's what you want to do, but like he was, pro- dude was probably better off. Ah, uh, yeah. And um, I will. I'm gonna assume. I'm gonna tell you why. <laughs> right now, pretty much right now. Yeah. All right. Rainbow's first and self-titled album was released in August 1975 and did pretty well on the charts, hitting number 11 in the UK and cracking the top 30 in the US. All right. Not bad. But as they were gearing up to record the follow-up. Richie started picking off the band members one by one. Uh, what? Yeah. First to go was bassist Craig Gruber. Then he kicked out drummer Gary Driscoll. And Richie's way of getting Mickey Lee out of the band was to ask him what classical Bach or Beethoven pieces he knew. Because Richie wanted orchestral arrangements on the next album. What? Mickey knew exactly zero classical pieces because he's not a classical pianist. He is a keyboardist. So that was the last nail in his coffin. But that's... But he can learn. Yeah. Yeah. He could. I mean, actually, it is quite complicated, but I don't know. Like, don't just kick them out. But it was, it was just... The I want more orchestral arrangements was just bullshit. It was yeah. just an excuse to, to kick him out. Damn. Yeah. Yo, this is some real abusive relationship gaslighting Richie shit. Blackmore is a toxic human, if you haven't figured it out yet. Yeah. Literally, nobody can work with him for more than, like, a few albums at a time. That's it. And Damn. then they're like, fuck this guy. He's a gaslighting toxic asshole. Gotta go. Ugh. Gross. Or he just kicks them out. Which, honestly, everybody is probably better for. So Ronnie makes it seem like it was all good vibes, no hard feelings. But yeah, I have a feeling that's not the case. He did work with Craig later in his career, so they did keep in touch. But I know I'd be pretty pissed if I was kicked out of the band I helped create. Yes. I mean, there is a chance that maybe they all saw the writing on the wall and were like, this is Richie. This isn't... This clearly isn't Ronnie's choices. Yeah. And like Richie probably has homeboy stuck under some spell. Yeah. Maybe. Maybe. I don't know. And yeah, side note, 
these guys stayed working in music, and Mickey Lee even continued working with various members of Deep Purple. But sadly, Craig died of prostate cancer in 2015. Oh, no. And so fucking weird. Gary Driscoll was murdered in Ithaca, New York in 1987. What? The details of his murder are still unknown, and it is it is still unsolved. That's what? Yeah. And like people started spreading crazy fucking rumors about it, too. Like some people started saying that um, his body was dismembered. And some people said that like he was murdered in some kind of satanistic ritual. Oh, okay. But of course, this was 1987. So balls deep in the satanic panic Uh, so of course people are going to say that because they don't know the details and they don't know who did it and also anything to make people scared of satan right and like the only other detail i could really find about it was that the cops like knew who did it Mm. but they took a different guy into questioning and while they had it while they were holding him the person that actually did it fled the country. Oh, fuck. Come so on. now they can't go and get him because wherever he went, he can't be extradited from there. That's bullshit. Yeah, pretty much. So, like, do got murdered and they know why, but, like, can't do anything about it. Great. Fucking bullshit. Good job. Good job, police. Great job, Ithaca. <sighs> so much for you being gorgeous. More like bullshit. More like Ikaka. Cause ick. <laughs> that was bad. I'm so that sorry. Was, it was a thing. I tried. Trying counts. <laughs> the band only played a very short American tour before going back into the studio. Despite losing all his friends to Richie's band member Guillotine, Ronnie seemed to be having a great time. He and Richie became BFFs and their mm. songwriting collaborations resulted in amazing songs. I mean, that's something. Yeah. Richie Blackmore's Rainbow was now billed simply as Rainbow, and their second album, Rising, was released in May 1976. It's a fantastic album that did pretty well on the charts, well enough that they were able to tour Australia and Japan this time around. Nice. Where Ronnie received the culture shock of his life. Oh, I bet. Yeah. A tiny man from central New York was not ready for the level of enthusiasm the Japanese have for their rock musicians. I was going to ask, so how much did the Japanese love Rainbow? They loved Ronnie. I fucking, again, I love Japan. They are the best fans. Yeah. Hardcore. And he did not realize that shows in Japan would happen very differently than shows in america or or europe okay like in america and europe like audiences are just like going fucking hardcore the whole show like yeah fuck yeah this is great we're rocking out whatever but in japan they're like we're going to be very quiet and polite while you are playing and then at the end of the show we're gonna go wild that makes sense so like they were not used to like not really getting much reaction from the audience okay so that was a lot of adjusting. Because they're like, are you guys having fun? Yeah. They're having the time of their fucking lives. They, they love just it. don't want you to know. They just have so much personal composure that they physically can't. Which like, is actually quite funny because in Japan, 
if you want to really compliment the chef, like if you're having ramen or something, you slurp, you slurp it yeah. the whole time. And also, if they know like one of their favorite musicians is flying in, they will go to the airport yeah. and lose their goddamn minds yeah. once they see you. It's crazy. But for whatever reason, once they're in the show, they're like, I want to fucking hear this. Shut your, shut, shut, shut your mouth. It's almost like they're being polite. What? What? What is polite? Too polite. Too polite. They're being almost. a little too polite. It's a little too polite, but like, if I, like, I would appreciate that kind of behavior in a movie theater. Oh, fuck yeah. Because Americans in movie theaters are the worst. Yeah. After the world tour was over, the band relocated to France to start working on the next album, Long Live Rock and Roll. Also, Long Live Baguettes. <laughs> Foot Baguettes. Hmm. But Richie brought out the guillotine again, firing keyboardist Tony Carey and bassist Jimmy Bain. The fuck? What came next was a literal revolving door of musicians. Richie kept firing people as fast as he hired them. Gee, why? Because he's nuts. I don't know. He's just... He, I think he is. Like, is, wasn't he like a big alcoholic or something? Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. They managed to get their shit together enough to record Long Live Rock and Roll and release it on April 9th, 1978, which happened to be the same day Ronnie and Wendy got married. They tied the knot at Waveney Castle in New Canaan, Connecticut, where they rented a house and settled down. See, when you say castle, I'm like, oh, in Connecticut. In Connecticut. Okay. It was more like a really big manor house. Yeah. But, you know. We don't have castles. We like to call things castles when they're not castles. Yeah, we don't know what castles are here in America. No, we don't. (laughs) We're like that meme, like, house made of stones. Is this a castle? Yes. Yes, it is. Sure. Ronnie was, by all means, a homebody. Oh. As you can tell by now, he wasn't huge into drugs. Hmm. He liked to drink, and drink he did. Hell yeah. Ronnie was more our speed. Kinda. Yeah, but booze-fueled antics were mainly reserved for the road, and he rarely, if ever, did anything harder than pot. Instead, he highly enjoyed entertaining at home, and he and Wendy would constantly host parties and poker games at their house. That's the fucking cutest thing Yeah, I've heard in my goddamn He just life. wanted to stay at home in his little sweatpants and his sweatshirt. And bring people over and cook for them and all that. Yo, I bet they had a baller Super Bowl party. Oh, fuck yeah, they did. I bet even if you don't like football, you're like, we have to go to the Dio's for for Super Bowl. With bomb-ass buffalo wings. Oh, fuck yeah. The best. Only the best at Ronnie James Dio's place. With blue cheese and ranch. Yo, I bet like Nipplegate was a big event there for their home. (laughs) Big event. Yeah. Big event. It seemed like a great time to be alive, but shit was going down like Jimber Timber. No. Yeah. Because Long Live Rock and Roll didn't do as well as Rising, Rainbow were relegated to open to an opening act in America, opening for Alice Cooper, Cheap Trick, and just REO Speedwagon. Let's just take a moment of silence. So bad. (laughs) I fucking 
hate <laughs> Ario Speedwagon with a burning passion. I do like that song, but no. everything else can go up that in actual song flames. That is so fucking stupid. It's, stu- it's terrible. I heard from like hey, 30 che- people and you're, <laughs> you're cheating on, on me, me, but I love you and I'm going to stick by you. I'm Ario Speedwagon. I don't know. I'm going to say if she's cheating on you, maybe she doesn't want you to stick by her side. Maybe just like suck it up and leave. Yeah. <laughs> just go. Just go, dude. No, you're an Ario Speedwagon. Nobody's clamoring for you to stick with them. No one. <laughs> No, no one. Literally no one. Ario Speedwagon might be one of the worst, worst bands ever. I thought you said Ario Speedwagon and then I thought of Bilbo Baggins and now I'm thinking Bilbo Baggins. Bilbo Baggins. In Ario Speedwagon? In Ario Speedwagon. No, it's Ario Speedwagons. Ario Speedwagons. It's kind of, you know what? I, I'm here for it. Yeah. You could turn me around on Ario Speedwagon. <laughs> yeah, I could. Throw Bilbo Baggins into any situation. It can all turn right, it I'm here for it. Yeah. So, yeah, opening for all of these bands was a massive hit to Richie's ego. On top of that, the tour was a fucking mess. Ooh. Richie kept walking off stage and refusing to return. Who Ron- is he, Axel fucking Rose? I know, right? The original, the OG Axel. Richie, what if we gave you some ice cream? Yeah. <laughs> Ronnie was hit in the head with a bottle at one show, requiring him to get stitches. His head cannot keep taking this damage. (laughs) He's got a big head. It's okay. Lots of surface area. You can hit it a bunch of times. It's fine. All right. I'm worried. So, yeah, he got hit in the head with a bottle and Richie walked off stage at that show when it was clear Ronnie couldn't sing, which devolved into a fist fight with Ario Speedwagon's manager on stage. (laughs) The final night of the tour ended when the venue's PA system went out mid-set and they were forced to abandon ship. Yeah, this sounds like a fucking hot mess express. Yep. Choo-choo. <laughs> Everybody all fucking bored. Come on, ride the train. The hot mess train. And and maybe you'll get to a destination? Maybe. Maybe. You. You'll get to a destination. It might not be the one that you want, but, but you'll here. get there. <laughs> Maybe you can just Uber home. It'll be fine. Yeah, I'm just going to take an Uber. After this disastrous tour, Richie got it in his head that he needed to steer Rainbow in a more commercial direction. He asked Ronnie if he could maybe stop writing about fantasy stuff and write a love song, to which Ronnie said, absolutely not. Yes. No, I'm not going to do that. I mean, I'll write a love song about elves and orcs and shit. Yeah, you want two orcs falling in love? Can do that. (laughs) Even though I'm pretty sure there aren't any lady orcs, but it doesn't matter. We can have gay orcs. Gorks. (laughs) Garks? Gorks. Gorks. I like gorks. Gay orcs. Gorks. (laughs) You're welcome. Somebody write about some gorks for me. Write about some gorks. That's kind of cute. I want somebody to do that. What, write a love story about two yeah. gay orcs? I heard mean, it like, from a friend who heard it from a friend. Can they these sl- two gay orcs can fall in love. Um, Can they slaughter Ario Speedwagon at the end? Sure. All right, I'm here for it. Two gay orcs falling in love during a quest to destroy Ario Speedwagon. Honestly, this just sounds like a D&D campaign. I'm, I'm sorry. begging to I'm be sorry. written. On a quest to destroy Ario Speedwagons. Oh, see, but now I might root for Ario Speedwagons. You've made this no. complicated. <laughs> Why'd I have to go and make things so complicated? Get out of here, Avril Levine. You're not allowed. 
This is about Dio. This is about Dio. It's not about you. So this led to Ronnie quitting Rainbow in 1979. Good. Some say Richie fired him, but I feel like in the wise words of one Fred Durst apply here, it's all about the he said, he said bullshit. I think you better quit talking that shit. I don't believe it when I fat lip. <laughs> yeah, you're probably right. Yeah. But I could see like Ronnie being like, I don't know if I need to keep doing this. Oh, yeah, totally. Yeah. I could see Ronnie being like, I'm going to get out of this before like shit gets real bad. Because it sounds like Richie was a fucking mess at this point. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. So, yeah. That train keeps rolling and it's just Richie being. Train kept it rolling all night long and it was on fire. Yep. <laughs> but back at home, it hit Ronnie just how reliant he was on the money he was getting from Rainbow's managers. They were paying for his house and car and giving him and Wendy $150 a week for basic necessities. And now that's all gone. Oh, fuck. Wendy luckily received an inheritance from her grandmother. And that was the only thing that kept them kept them afloat at the time. Wow. And the couple packed up and moved to L.A. where Ronnie still had musical contacts. Mm-hmm. But it was Wendy that made a fortuitous friendship. Fuck yeah, Wendy. She became buds with Sharon Levy, daughter of Don Arden, legendary manager and promoter that was managing Black Sabbath. Mm -hmm. If you don't recognize Sharon Levy's name, you might know her better as Sharon Osbourne. Yeah, you do. Yeah. We all know who she is. We know about Sharon. (laughs) Through Wendy's connection to Sharon, Ronnie was able to meet the guys of Black Sabbath. Ozzy, of course, guitarist Tony Iommi, bassist Geezer Butler, and drummer Bill Ward. Later, while at the Rainbow, Dio ran into Tony, who told him of Ozzy's recent ousting of Black Sabbath. So wait, he was ousted or did he leave? I think it was it a combination all about of both. The he said, he said bullshit. Probably. Okay. But I, th- I think it was kind of both. Yeah. Because he was with Sharon at the time, and Sharon was a big, like, proponent of him going out solo. Okay. And I think they both saw, like, the writing on the wall. Yeah. And they were like, we're having a lot of problems, and Ozzy kind of wants to do the solo thing, so mm. maybe it's just better that you just pork chop sandwich your ass out of that band. Yeah. Yeah. That's fair. So he recruited Ronnie to help him with a solo project, but he impressed Tony so much that Tony asked him to replace Ozzy in Black Sabbath. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. He was worried what the legions of Sabbath fans would think about him replacing Ozzy. I mean... those are big shoes to fill. Right. And Ronnie doesn't seem like the type of guy who would be, like, dumb enough to walk in that situation and be like, this is going to be fine. Yeah, I'm totally (laughs) fine doing this. But he was in dire financial straits, sharing a two-bedroom apartment in Encino with, like, ten other people. What? So he knew he had to take the job. Wow. I wouldn't want to live with that many people either, especially if I was in my 30s. Are you kidding? Also, they're all, like, musician LA types. Yeah, they're I've all been on drugs. insufferable. <laughs> yeah, especially coming from, like, a really nice house in a very affluent area of Connecticut. Right. To sharing, like, what could probably be described as a on the verge of a crack den yeah in la with yeah. a bunch of other people and your wife like yeah, yeah. i don't love that <laughs> doesn't sound like my cup it's of not tea. my vibe it's not my vibe You're not my vibe sorry <laughs> imagine cool- if like you had the same situation but instead of like 
Like you still had all these people, but in addition to all of that, you also had um nothing but artwork by that word chick. Rachel, oh, Ray Dunn. Oh, Ray Dunn. <laughs> <laughs> the whole crack house was filled with Ray Dunn inspirational uh. words. <laughs> Just like plaques that say, it's time for wine. <laughs> I am a hot tea and it's like a cup of tea and it's just like i'm gonna rip this off the fucking wall you're like you know what i can deal with all the drugs i cannot deal i with can't the deal ray with dunn. ray dunn <laughs> ray dunn is a step too far that's in my crack den. i've had enough <laughs> i either want a legit crack den or no crack den at all <laughs> i'm just picturing living in this cr- like almost crack den day after day after day and you come back from a really hard day contemplating if you should join black sabbath or not (laughs) and you just walk in and there's a new like like a plaque a new plaque that says something stupid about wine and it's just like in the movie election where they just focus in on reese witherspoon's eyes and it's like And that's when Ronnie knew he had to join Black Sabbath. He's like, well, I have no choice. I have to join Black Sabbath. <laughs> no choice. At least, like, all the things that say something about wine, just cross out wine and put crack. It's time for crack. <laughs> no, Mandy. It's time for Mandy. Time for Mandy. <laughs> So yeah, according to Ronnie, on their very first jam session, he and Tony wrote the song Children of the Sea. Hmm. However, in Tony's autobiography, he claims that it was written well before Ronnie joined the band. And there's even a recording of Ozzy performing it with different lyrics and a different melody. Oh. Which to me reads, it's a different song. But (laughs) if it's different lyrics and a different melody, it's It's a a different different song. So which old man with a fuzzy memory are you going to believe? It's all about the he said, he said. <laughs> Bullshit. Oh, my it God. Is. The band recorded the album in Miami between October 1979 and January 1980, finally releasing it on April 21st, 1980. If Ronnie was nervous about Sabbath fans accepting him, he need not worry after the album's release. Oh. It became Sabbath's third highest selling album hit number nine on the UK charts and number 28 on the US charts. Oh, that's awesome. Going platinum six years after its release. It was uh, also called Heaven and Hell. I don't know why I didn't put that in my notes. <laughs> Fucking idiot. It's fine. There's there's a lot of notes, guys. I forget some things. It's fair. But also, I thought most people panned the D.O. years of Black Sabbath. I mean, a lot of people did just because it wasn't Ozzy. Right. But like... The Dio years of Black Sabbath were just a whole thing in and of itself. It was an era completely different than the Aussie years. Right. So a lot of people were like, yeah, this is great. But other people are like, no, this is awful. He he, he had a completely different style than Aussie too. Of course. Too. Yeah. So it's, if you are a diehard black, early Black Sabbath or Aussie fan, yeah, you're not going to like the Dio years. Because mm. he's, you know, doing power metal vocals as opposed to... Ozzy, who was like, <laughs> yeah, it's completely different. Like, I wonder what years it's like, Ashley preferred. It's like, do you like power metal or do you like mumble rap? Like, it's mumble metal. <laughs> mumble metal. <laughs> it's not mumble rap. That's mumble metal. But I'm, I'm trying to liken it to like genres of current years. That's fair. 
You know what I mean? I know what you mean. Words. I don't know what they are. I I mean, or you could like both. Why not both? Why not both? Both are great. If both are good, you can like both. What? No. And Ozzy still has a solo career. So like you <laughs> can ex- have the best of all worlds right an now. An astronomically successful solo career. Nah, I think I should just like be really nah, petty about everything. I'm going to be all butthurt because my favorite vocalist isn't in this band anymore arguably due to his own reasons Mm, yeah Mm. (sighs) we digress but ronnie still had to prove himself on stage and thought that he needed something to show audience that he's you know the cool stepdad oh He's the cool stepdad in Black Sabbath. Honey, Tim just wants to take you out. He's <laughs> he just wants to, wants to get you, you ice cream. cream. Just don't put it on your head this time. You know where your mouth is. Just put it in your mouth. <laughs> he figured Ozzy was well known for flashing a peace sign at shows and audience would do it back at him. Yeah. He wanted something like that. Yeah. He was randomly thinking about his paternal grandmother one evening when he remembered the Mano Cornudo. Mm-hmm. This was a hand gesture where your index and pinky fingers are extended and the others are held down with your thumb. In Italy, it is used to ward off the maloik or the evil eye. And his grandmother would do it all the time to freak out her stuffy American neighbors. She would just walk down the street with her like little, you know, grandson Dio. Yeah. Baby Dio. And just like look at her neighbors and go with the maloik. But isn't that actually like a nice thing? No. She's warding off the evil eye. Oh, but from they're, oh, they're the evil ooh, eye. Oh, oh. But she would also just do it to freak them out. Yeah. Just be like, nee. Yeah. Nee. <laughs> he thought this would be the perfect thing to get Sabbath fans on board. It was kind of spooky hand gesture and could easily be reciprocated. Yeah. It worked. And by the time Sabbath were playing their last show on the Heaven and Hell tour, throngs of fans were making the devil horns back at him yep and therefore the devil horns were born not so no shit no 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 (gasps) let's get one thing straight here oh shit if you're making the devil okay so let's get one thing straight ronnie james dio did not invent the devil horns he mean his grandmother did i'm just kidding (laughs) He only popularized them. Right. It's seen on the cover of Coven's 1969 album, Witchcraft Destroys Minds and Reaps Souls. Parliament Funkadelic used it as part of their mythological backstory. Wait, really? That's awesome. That was the hand gesture. That was like their password to get onto the mothership. And Frank Zappa is seen using it in a movie. And even John Lennon is drawn with the hand sign on the cover of the Yellow Submarine album. He's making oh the sign God. above Paul McCartney's head. And people use that as like another sign that Paul McCartney was actually dead and they replaced him with a lookalike. Sorry, I s- swallowed my eyes because <laughs> I rolled them so far into the back of my head. Yeah. Oh, that's wild. I yeah. love that. And also, let's get another thing straight. If you're making the devil horn sign, stick your fucking thumb in. Yeah. Yeah. Don't stick that thumb out That's because I love that you. means I love you in, in sign, sign language. language. These days I see so many people being like, yeah, rock on, like fucking metal man. And they're sticking their thumb oh. out. 
Don't do that. The devil. What do you think? The devil has like a weird growth on his face. No, <laughs> the devil. It's devil horns. horns. He does not have three. He has two horns. Stick your thumb in. <laughs> well, now that we have the history of the devil horn straight. Uh-huh. Let's continue. Oh, okay. <laughs> Tony seemed to be stoked that Ronnie was now a solid member of the band. Together, they wrote songs that were beyond what Black Sabbath was before, and both men said that their writing at the time became more intricate. And unlike in Rainbow, Ronnie was allowed to get as silly with the fantasy themes as he wanted to. I mean, yeah. Duh. Not everyone was as enthusiastic about his inclusion, however. What? Drummer Bill Ward was BFFs with Ozzy, and his departure crushed him. So seeing Ronnie in the studio or on stage every day and not his best friend was a continuous slap in the face. Well, at least your best friend's still alive, Bill. <laughs> Billy. Hmm. Billiam. I mean, Bill also had a massive drug and alcohol problem and was dealing with the loss of both of his parents. Oh, that does suck. I'm sorry, Billy. Yeah. So halfway through the arena tour, Bill quit. He was replaced with Vinnie Appis, a drummer that Ronnie would become very good friends with. Yeah. Hey, Vinny. Hey. While recording their next album, Mob Rules, the <sighs> dynamic within the band shifted. Before, Tony and Ronnie would write the music and lyrics respectively, but Geezer now wanted more input on lyrics, and Ronnie did not appreciate that. Oh. Like, back in, you know, when Ozzy was still in the band, Tony and Geezer would write a majority of the music and the lyrics. Oh. And Ozzy and Bill would just go off on benders and, you know, do whatever. Oh. <laughs> so that was the dynamic in Black Sabbath before. So it was but Billy now- just mad because, like, Dio wasn't, like, going on benders. So it was like, come on, you want to go on bender? I, I got to write music. <laughs> and Ronnie's like, I don't really do that. Billy's like, you, you want to go watch the Giants game? You're not my real dad. <laughs> You're just my stepdad. <laughs> then Tony's like, Billy, come back. Come on. He's trying. <laughs> Give him a chance. No. Slams the door. <laughs> Stomps down the stairs. Gets in the car. Peels out. You're not my real dad. <laughs> You're not my real dad. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so, like, Geezer had just gotten over all of his own personal problems, so he was, like, getting back into the writing of the band. So he he really wanted to get back into writing lyrics. And okay. Dio always worked by himself. He mm. didn't really want any input. So it really fucked up the dynamic between Ronnie and Tony, who had been writing together this whole time. Ooh. And Tony and Geezer also really liked getting liked hard drugs and getting shit faced. And Ronnie did he barely smoked pot, so he really didn't want to do that. I was like, I mean, like I got some beers and like a joint. Can we do that? Oh, heroin! Guys, have fun. I'm gonna just smoke my joint and go home. I guess. All right. Okay. (laughs) I'm gonna go write a song about a dragon now. I'm going to just smoke this joint, write a song about a dragon, maybe take a nap. It sounds like fun. Actually, that sounds, that sounds great. Oh, my gosh. I am Ronnie James yeah. Dio. <laughs> Tony and Geezer were worried that Ronnie was trying to take over the band. Along with more creative control in the studio, Ronnie had become the band's de facto manager, putting more strain on relationships. I, I know why. Because hmm? he's the only one who's not addicted to hardcore <laughs> drugs. He's the only one that had 
any sort of wherewithal to know what to do with the band. That he's not he's not taking it over. He's making sure y'all don't fuck it up. Yeah, exactly. You're welcome. Then Tony and Geezer accused him of sneaking into the studio at night to redo all the mixes completed that day so that his vocals were more prominent. Yeah. That doesn't but even make sense. I'm pretty sure that Tony and Geezer were just on so much drugs that they didn't realize that like they were the ones that were actually in the studio late night and Ronnie like couldn't even go in because they were in there. Right. And like Ronnie was probably like, look, I did my work for the day. I'm going to go home to my wife. My wife. <laughs> in our small apartment with 10 other people. <laughs> well, at this point, they were making some money, so they got their own place. Oh, it's good, fine. good. But the point is, like, I highly doubt Dio wanted to, like, do all night benders in the fucking studio. He strikes me as the type who's like, I'm going to work really hard all day so that I can go home and spend time yeah. with my family. And also, I trust you guys to do good mixes. So, like, why would I go back in there and try to make my own voice more prominent? Also, depending on the time of the year, like, he's got to go home and watch the big game. Exactly. The sports. He's got so much sports There's to a watch. lot of sports going on. Yeah. There's right? always sports going on, there really arguably. Is. So I'm going to say they're full of shit. Yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say that, too. On top of that, Tony was pissed that Ronnie kind of, sort of, secretly signed a solo deal with their record company. Okay, that's kind of fucked it, up. It wasn't that secret, but, like, he didn't talk about it. But, like, after the success of Heaven and Hell, the band renegotiated with Warner Brothers Records, and it included a deal for Ronnie, one that he didn't plan to act on until much later down the road. Okay. But Tony was angry he even got the chance at a solo deal. Tony. 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 Tony, Tony, Tony. Tony? question mark so did you ever think that if you just like maybe did a little less on the drugs and boozing took your job a little more seriously your lead singers who are very talented would stop leaving you in the fucking dust but also it's so hypocritical because like right before Ozzy was even out of the band Tony was like I'm gonna do a solo record so how come you can do a solo record but like your super popular lead singer isn't allowed to do one well what did you say before lead singer super popular oh mm. yeah mm. somebody who already has a name for himself yeah like who's I mean like Tony Iommi is not gonna have the following that either Dio or Ozzy have Right. He's not going to have that kind of following because he's not the lead singer. No. So you cannot expect your super popular lead singer to just stick with your band and that's it. Like, if they're going to be presented with the ability to do a solo record down the road, they're probably going to be like, yeah, maybe at some point I will do this. Let's put it into the contract. Especially if you and the other band members are drunkenly accusing your leads of sabotaging them. Yeah. There's a, they're only going to take up that shit for so long yeah anyway so yeah they're fucking and, that up and at this point ronnie has been in how many bands that have had how many different lineups if he sees something like if he sees that he's being prevented or excuse me presented with something that if things go wrong he can always fall back on that yeah it's gonna take it yeah because things are gonna go wrong they always do every time <laughs> If he thought he wouldn't be needing that solo deal anytime soon, Ronnie was dead wrong. That's why he got it. Yes. (laughs) 
Mob Rules was released on November 4th, 1981, and a month later, he was out of the band. What the fuck? Yeah. But it wasn't like the last time where he had to share a house with 10 people and had to take a job in Sabbath to pay his bills. Mm. Still, they didn't expect Warner to fully fund this next venture. So at the tail end of 1982, Ronnie and Wendy took out a second mortgage to fund this new project. Wendy became his manager and they began searching for musicians. And this is when things will probably start going right because you got a woman in charge now. I mean, yes and no. Oh, okay. I mean, you got the story. I don't. I'm just like, and I'm just making estimations yeah. now. The first one to join was drummer Vinnie Appis, who walked from Sabbath to rejoin with Ronnie. There you go. That's a smart move. He then contacted Rainbow Era bassist Jimmy Bain, who gladly jumped on board. Through Jimmy, Ronnie met guitarist Vivian Campbell. At this time, he was a 20-year-old up-and-comer without much clout to his name, but there was lots of buzz around him in his native Northern Ireland. Ooh. Ronnie was impressed with his skills and hired him after their first jam session. With the lineup rounded out, they went into the studio to record. It was completely different than the contentious recording sessions with Rainbow or Black Sabbath. Music flowed easily and there weren't any hard drugs fucking anyone up. This bit of clarity helped the band meld 70s classic rock, with the faster, heavier sounds of early 80s heavy metal. Hell yes. The album called Holy Diver. Holy Diver. <laughs> which is probably the fucking one of the best albums ever. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It was uh, called Holy Diver after the first song written for the album and was released on May 25th, 1983. The band was simply called Dio because it wasn't really a solo effort. They were a fully fledged band, not just Ronnie James Dio and his backing band. Mm. However, Ronnie was still the main guy and his name was bringing in the fans. Yeah. But I mean, Dio's nice because it's just like Dio. It's not a whole encompassing personality. Yeah. And I mean, he named himself Dio for a reason. Yeah. It's a good name. It's short. It's sweet. It's to the point. This is who he is. This is the music he wants to make. And a mob guy. And a mob guy. (laughs) This album was, I think, the true essence of who Ronnie James Dio was Mm. as a person. Fun, larger than life, fantastical, and thoroughly heavy metal. Yes. From this album, we get the two songs for which he is most well known. Mm -hmm. Holy Diver and Rainbow in the Dark. Fucking love both of those songs. <laughs> Holy Diver reflects the imagery on the album cover, both of which center around a religious figure. Hmm. The lyrics center around a Christ-like figure who sacrifices himself to, sa- to save his people. But when they hear he intends to help people elsewhere, they f- selfishly beg him to stay. It is not about getting clean from heroin like you thought it was. <laughs> well, I thought, I swear to God, I thought I read it somewhere. And I think it's like the line is, you, you can, can see, see his... the tiger. You can see his no. stripes, but you know. Right, the tiger. tiger. You, you can, can see, see his stripes, but you know he's clean. Oh, don't you see what I mean? No, no. <laughs> wow. You're welcome, everyone. Yeah. I think he actually explained that in some interview I read. And it's something like, um, like this, the well, savior. Cats clean themselves a lot. <laughs> and as a tiger, 
You know he's clean because he's a cat. That's it. I <laughs> yeah. did it. Cats. Cats, man. Cats. Little kitty cats. Little kitty cats. <laughs> no, I think it's um something about like, you know, this this savior guy, you can see all of him. Like he's he's exposed to all these people that mm. like worship him and whatever because he he sacrificed everything for these people. Okay. And like you know, you can see everything about him, but you know he's like this almighty figure who is just, you know, he's worshipped by the people. Yeah, he's perfect. He's pure. He's holy. He's whatever. Mm. And that's why he's clean. No! No! <laughs> <laughs> the album cover shows a demon, which they later named Murray. Oh, that's right. Whipping a priest character. They purposely made this character ambiguous because they were worried the religious zealots would come for them. Satanic panic was real. Yeah. But since this was prime satanic panic era and the church was under scrutiny for child molestations, they were like, nah, he's a fucking priest. That demon can whip the fucking shit out of him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They followed up the release of Holy Diver with a very successful tour. First playing theaters and by the end selling out arenas. And Ronnie and Wendy credit the success of the tour with a grassroots approach to promotion. They would hire interns to canvas cities and radio stations before shows, passing out flyers and giving free tickets to DJs. This way, they developed lasting friendships with radio stations around the country who would in turn always promote Dio when he came to town. That's awesome. Yeah. That's smart. Jeez. I don't know if they paid these interns. I'm going to assume that they didn't, for yeah. which I say that's fucked up. That is fucked up. But this was also the 70s and this was acceptable. This was the 80s. Or this was the 80s and it was still acceptable they to gave, do so. You know they gave those interns cocaine. It's <laughs> fine. Yeah. Ronnie and Wendy were husband and wife, but at this point they had forged an incredibly strong foundation for their business and personal relationships. Dio the band was their livelihood and a source of pride and stability for them both. Of course. They didn't mean that didn't mean they didn't fight like cats and dogs because they did uh, viciously. Oh. But they always supported each other, which was what made them such a successful team. Oh, that's good. And Dio's next album, The Last in Line, was released on July 2nd, 1984. It was even bigger than Holy Diver, surpassing its predecessor's gold status. Wow. Even though their Holy Diver period was the best time in Ronnie's career up to this point, cracks within the band were starting to show. What? <laughs> it's two albums. It's almost kind of like there's a common denominator here, and it's Dio. Oh, no. Yeah, I'll touch on that later during the end, but yeah. Oh, Vivian, in particular, was riding high on the success of Dio, and it possibly went to his head. Oh. At least that's what Ronnie thought. Hmm. Vivian and Jimmy were kind of miffed that the band was named after Ronnie <laughs> and complained that they didn't get the songwriting credits they deserved. Okay. In recent years, Vivian also claimed that he was getting paid less than the road crew while in Ronnie and Wendy's employ. Wow. A claim that Wendy has refuted and says she has the receipts for. All right. Yo, if she shows the receipts, then she right. Right. What Jimmy and Vivian did get credit for, however, was a charity record called Hearing Aid. 
I'll I'll give you a second. I'll give you a second. <laughs> That's stupid. It's so stupid. I hate it. I, I hate it. <laughs> stupid. Inspired by recent charity records like We Are the World and Do They Know It's Christmas, which Ugh. is the most racist and tone deaf song I have ever heard in my fucking life. That donated proceeds to African famine aid. Jimmy and Vivian brought this idea to Ronnie to do the same thing, but with big names in metal. Okay. Because, let's be honest, We Are the World and Do They Know It's Christmas have a sad lack of metal anybody. Oh, yeah. In those songs. Very much. He was all in. He, Jimmy, and Vivian wrote a song together called Stars, which would be the lead single. Okay. And the album as a whole contained contributions from 40 of the biggest names in hard rock and metal. 40? Including Iron Maiden, Judas Priest, Motorhead, Ingve Malmsteen, Journey, Motley Crue, like the list fucking goes on. Even Ted Nugent, guys. Ted Nugent. And fuck that guy. I mean, fuck that guy, but like, wow, impressive. Impressive. He actually did something charitable once in his entire life. But anyway, the song was recorded on May 20th and 21st, 1985, in the same studio they recorded We Are the World. Good. And altogether, it raised about $3 million for famine relief. Wow. That's awesome. And it forged lasting friendships. Ronnie became friends with Rob Halford of Judas Priest, and they continued to having a very lovely friendship. I just want to hear them on a song together. (gasps) Well, you can on stars. Well, let's do it. (laughs) The good vibes didn't last for long. God damn it. It was at this point in the book that lots of shade got thrown around. Yeah. And I'm not here to speculate who is right and who is wrong. Quite honestly, it seems like everyone in this situation was wrong at some point. Look, let's let's preface this with something. Yeah. Rock dudes? Petty bitches. Yeah. Petty bitches. Yeah. Especially when drugs and alcohol are involved. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So let's go into this with that knowledge. Indeed. Out of this contentious period came Dio's third album, Sacred Heart, released on August 13th, 1985. Ronnie saw this album as a continuation of Holy Diver, harking back to themes of fantasy and magic with an overall dark tone. That tone was born of the tension between band members while recording. There was so much stress behind the recording that once the songs were sent to be mastered, Ronnie had to be rushed to the hospital for a burst appendix. (gasps) What? He spent like three days in the hospital and he was like, it was the best three days of my life. I just sat on my ass and watched TV all day. It was great. There were so many, there were so many sports on TV. (laughs) Sports. (laughs) Kick football. Yeah. Kick skin. Netball. (laughs) Stick hit. Stickball. Goal. (laughs) Yes. Finally, halfway through the album's tour, which included a mechanized dragon named Dean and a laser light show, Vivian Campbell was fired. Oh. According to Wendy, they were paying him $1,700 a week salary while on the road. Wow. But Vivian wanted double that. Plus songwriting, royalties, and equity in the band. Wait, no, Vivian was Vivian the one saying that he was getting paid less than the roadies? Yes. Yeah. 
I'm dubious. But also in what, 1985, $1,700 a week is a lot. That's more than people bring home in a month in 2021. Yeah. So, so. I think $1,700 a week while you're on tour and I'm you probably get a per diem probably. also and like... And your travel's covered. And catering right? and... Or if there's no catering, then you probably get money per day. Again, the to, per diem. To yeah. per diem, the mm. per diem to spend on food. And if you don't eat as much as you get in your per diem, you can just pocket that, guys. Mm-hmm. But anyway, yeah, so he wanted double that salary plus songwriting royalties and equity in the band. He had a lawyer deliver the ultimatum and gave Wendy and Ronnie five days to decide. Instead of complying, they let him go. Yep. And in one day, they said, you can go now, sir. <laughs> And you can go. They replaced Vivian Campbell with Craig Goldie just in time for Ronnie to realize his childhood dream of headlining Madison Square Garden. Oh, shit. This wasn't his first time performing there. He'd done so with Black Sabbath before, Mm -hmm. but this was the first time his own name was on the marquee, marking one of the most momentous events of his career. And the band released its next album, Dream Evil, on July 1st, 1987. It's notable because this would be the last time the demon named Murray would appear on a Dio album cover. Murray, no! (laughs) Not Murray. Dio, the band, continued releasing studio and live albums through 2006. Wow. Albeit with an ever-changing roster of musicians. Okay, that makes sense. (laughs) (laughs) Now when you put it that way, that makes way more sense. Some albums were more successful than others. Strange Highways and Angry Machines, released in 1993 and 1994 respectively, dropped the fantasy themes Ronnie was known for in favor of current issues, which was panned by a lot of critics and fans. But the follow-up, 2000's Magica, was hailed as Dio's comeback album and reached number 13 on the Billboard charts. Wow. I really fell out of music by the early aughts. Yeah, that was my new metal time, so yeah. it was it was a few years. Look, it, it wasn't was a great years. time in our lives, but it was a time. And and I own it. We own it. I Look, we I were drank moody the, fucking teenagers. I what drank the flavor aid with the new metal. Yeah. But you know what? It made me who I am today. Seriously. It's all about that he said she said bullshit. It's just all about the he said he said. He said he said bullshit. Back in 1991, Ronnie reunited with Black Sabbath to record their 16th studio album, Dehumanizer. Wow. Yeah, they kept busy after Dio left. I'm kind of so glad that we never did the Black Sabbath story because, god damn it, I would look like one of those Looney Tunes characters that got hit in the head and it's just stars and swirlies around their head for the whole time. It would take like a month and a half to get through that fucking story. No, thank you. No. I just don't care enough. And it's just dudes being petty, drugged up idiots. That's all it is. Yeah. I'm over it. So, yeah, they released Dehumanizer, and the guys were probably back on their same old bullshit because Ronnie only stayed for that one album and bolted. I mean, good for him. He did reunite with Tony, Geezer, and Vinnie Appice in 2006 to form the band Heaven and Hell. This was pretty much just Dio-era Black Sabbath, but since Tony and Geezer were still in Black Sabbath with Ozzy Osbourne at the time, they had to go under a different name. Yeah, right. Right? Didn't, like... Okay. 
because they had a Black Sabbath reunion with Dio. Then they had a Black Sabbath reunion with Ozzy. And they were doing Ozfest and shit like that. That's right. Because they were headlining Ozfest. But then did they have a reunion with Ozzy and Dio? Not at the same time. Well, they should have. I think they probably would have ripped each other's throats out. Dio and Ozzy? Yeah, I don't think I don't they know. liked each other. Oh, I don't know. There was always shade going back and forth. He said, he said. Mm. Mm. Heaven and Hell was supposed to be a one-off tour, but they decided to continue the project. Nice. They released an album titled The Devil You Know on April 29th, 2009, and went on a worldwide tour to promote it, putting Ronnie's big plans to record two sequels to his album Magica on hold. Oh, Wow. Yeah. He had like a whole thing planned out. He had capital P plans. Shit. Their last performance was in Atlantic City on August 29th, 2009, which would end up being Ronnie's last performance ever. Mm. Just a few months later in November, he went to the doctor for abdominal discomfort, something he'd been dealing with for a few years. To his surprise, he was diagnosed with inoperable stage four stomach cancer. Shit. It blows my mind that they like he's been coming to the doctor for fucking years with yeah. abdominal problems and nobody was like, maybe we should check for his stomach cancer. No, they just like kept checking his heart and shit. Yeah, sounds like doctors. Yeah. Sounds like every time you go to the doctor and you're like, I have this pain or I have this thing. You're probably fine. You should do a diet. Oh, are you a woman? Oh, you're just faking it. It's all in your head. It's you psychological. Do, you know what? I you want you to lose keep, some weight. I want you to keep a food journal. <laughs> Fuck your fucking food journal. Yeah. Anyway, please continue. Mm. Clearly, we got triggered. He most certainly had cancer for years. Oh, he He'd been complaining of indigestion for about seven years, but doctors never tested for cancer until it was too late. He had to go through several rounds of chemotherapy, but ultimately it did not work. The cancer spread quickly and Dio passed away on May 16th, 2010 at the young age of 67. That's too fucking young. Yeah. It seems like it could have been prevented. Yeah. And it's not like he wasn't going to the doctor. Yeah. I assume he was going to the doctor. Like... I don't know if he was like it because like, but was he going to appendicitis stuff? Yeah. But was he going to the right doctor? But that's who the the fuck knows. Who who knows who even is a right doctor? Right. Doctors are just like checking off boxes and prescribing your shit and saying, keep a fucking food journal. That's their solutions. As soon as he turned 50, they should have been like, I guess it back then. Well, no, it was. It was the 2000s. It was the 2000s. Like, they should have been like, no, you need a colonoscopy. Yeah. We need, to, we need to probe your butt to see if you have cancer up there. Yeah. They should have been like that. And I don't know if anybody actually did do that. Probably not. I'm guessing no. Look, I'm dubious of the medical industry, but here we are. Oh, yeah. I mean, <laughs> you want to talk about doctors? We're not the people to give you encouragement. No. So. No, 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 no. Since his death, Wendy has been at the forefront of handling his legacy. She and several of Dio's friends started the Ronnie James Dio Stand Up and Shout Cancer Fund, Mm. a nonprofit cancer fund that supports cancer research and education. She also greenlighted a Ronnie James Dio hologram, which was debuted at the Wacken Open Air Festival in Germany in August 2016. Okay. 
I don't like holograms. Weird me out. I I don't like it. Like I don't like it. They're gone. Yeah. You don't need to bring them back in a hologram because yeah. first of all, it's not them. Mm-mm. Second of all, just let them rest. Yeah, they aren't it. And a lot of times, it just seems like a money grab. Yes. One hundred percent. Don't like that. I really don't like that. Yeah, I'm. I'm not here for hologram performances. Like, if it's at a festival, I think it's a little bit different because, like, you're you already bought the ticket to see a bunch of other bands yeah. too. So if you're if it's still fucking weird and creeps yeah. me out, but like, at least it's not like you're expecting people to buy tickets solely to see this hologram. Yeah, I think it's a play on people's emotions, and I don't like. Yeah, that. I'm not. A fan of that. I would actually rather see a tribute concert with other musicians mm-hmm. um, playing those songs. Yeah. I would rather see that. As much as I hate tribute bands. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They took the hologram out on the road in 2017 and a lot of his peers gave it the side eye. I bet. Expressing doubt that Ronnie would have been okay with it. I agree with that sentiment. Yeah, I don't think he would be totally fine with it. A lot of people also thought it was cheesy and creepy. And yeah, I totally agree with that. Yeah. Still, they brought a new and improved hologram back out on the road in 2019 before retiring the idea altogether. <laughs> they're like, wait, maybe? And everyone's like, no. And they're like, all right, fine. Well, we'll yeah. just, we're going to put it to rest. Like Wendy was going to do it again. And then I think everyone was just like, no, like, stop. And finally, she was like, okay, yeah, we won't do that. Instead, now what she's trying to do is, like, put together um, footage of Ronnie. Okay. And, like, kind of play that while the band plays over the footage. So it's, like, it's live performance footage. So his singing would sync up with the live band playing kind okay. of like what death clock does and yeah. gorillas yeah so it would kind of be like that that's fine which is fine at that least seems it's more footage like, of him right that seems more like honorable tribute right yeah holograms not so much it's not them like i'm not gonna pay like a hundred bucks a ticket to see a hologram right like i'm not here for a miku concert a what miku who's miku so she is this hologram that they made in japan no (laughs) no i don't no no (laughs) and we're done and i'm already over she was on david letterman good for her and that was she's not real that was the funniest fucking david letterman moment ever the only miku everybody what What? the fuck is this who who booked this (laughs) I'm retiring soon, right? (laughs) The latest news involving Ronnie was the release of his autobiography, Rainbow in the Dark, which was released earlier this year. This is the book that I use for most of my research. You might be wondering, how could Ronnie James Dio's autobiography be released nearly 11 years after he died? Yeah, how can that happen? (laughs) He came back from the dead. They just put him to a series of you know ropes and pulleys and are just like yeah make him just write type him, just type it up he's that old he's, typewriter he's just hunting and pecking for those keys no actually he'd been writing it himself for years before he passed away okay he was only about halfway through it when he got his cancer diagnosis 
and he knew he didn't have much time left and wouldn't be able to finish it. Yeah. So Wendy helped him get his notes in order and she wrote it and he wrote as much as he could before he left. Okay. She and music journalist Mick Wall picked up where Ronnie left off, fleshing out the chapters and even adding notes from Wendy here and there for clarification. Okay. Although the book can get catty at times, <laughs> and it's quite clear that Ronnie really wants you to believe he's upstanding and perfect all the time and never, ever petty. Right. I'm sure that the book is not 100% accurate on that. Oh, probably not. I I got the distinct impression that he was like, no, I am correct all the time. I did everything that I should have done correctly and fairly <laughs> and everything. I, I am an angel and everybody else is just a petty piece of shit. Not really a petty piece of shit. Like he did. He would always give credit where credit was due. But he has the high ground. Right. And he was the he only. really Obi-Wan Kenobi that shit. Yeah. And he was the only one who wasn't completely cracked out of his mind so, like, yeah, I totally understand where if you're the one person who is not, you know, in a fucking drug daze the yeah, whole if you're time. you're not in an altered state. Then you're going to kind of feel like you're a little bit better than everybody else because you can see shit clearly, whereas they're just, like, a fucking mess. Yeah. I get that. I would... I would feel kind of the same way, too, if I were feeling... If I did that for 40 years. Yeah. Or, you know, it could also just be, like... You know, I'm sure you weren't always in the perfect mindset. Oh, not dude. at all. Not at all. Like, yo, I love me and my alcohol and pot, but alcohol and pot are still drugs and you can still be a douchebag on them. Oh, yeah, you can. Especially alcohol. Yeah. So, like, and, and, he, it's, and it's fine. And he absolutely got up to his own fair share of fucking crazy ass antics. Mm -hmm. And he did a lot of dumb fucking shit that he shouldn't have done. Yeah. But... He always, he he does assume kind of a holier than thou attitude mm. a little bit. It's not overly prevalent or anything, but by the end of the book, I was like, you think you are a lot more perfect than you probably were. Well, I think it also doesn't help, like, probably, like, at least 25% was written by his wife. Right. Who wants to honor him. And I totally understand that. And I'm not saying Dio was a bad person. Right. Oh, no. At all. No, no, no. He was, by all means, an awesome person. And, like, here's the thing, too. Like, I can't blame Wendy. I could never, like, co-write an autobiography of someone I loved because I'd want to just, like, put them in the best light possible. Right. And, like, I think I'm a pretty fair and, you know, cool person, but, like, pretty cool. I know I've done some really stupid shit and have not exactly treated everybody with the, you know, how they should be treated all the time. I know I don't do that. I am not a perfect person. Oh, well, I'm definitely a perfect person. <laughs> and I have definitely treated everything everyone. you do is amazing, yeah. great, fair and just fucking precious. Yes. There is nothing that keeps me up at two in the fucking mm -hmm. morning. Not a single comment that I might have made or maybe not even like on my drive home today. I'm like, oh, I said that one thing and they probably fucking hate me now. Or did anything embarrassing that would haunt your dreams for the next, you know, 30 years? No, nothing. Not at all. I'm perfect. Totally. Yes. <laughs> but overall, the book does give you the insight you need to understand Ronnie James Dio at his core. 
this was a guy who worked damn hard for everything that he had and did strive to be fair and generous. Mm. He never compromised who he was as a person, and that may have prevented him from huge commercial opportunities, but staying true to himself was what was important to him. He did just that. And that's exactly why he is still hailed as one of, if not the greatest metal gods in history. Yeah. He's fucking amazing. Yeah. And a workhorse indeed. You know, he might have hated that trumpet, but his dad (laughs) honestly put a fucking work ethic in him. His dad and that trumpet gave him the foundation he needed to be an elf. Metal guy or metal fans should be thanking the trumpet right now. Yeah. I'm a little upset, though. You forgot one big part of Ronnie James Dio's career. Tenacious D? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) No, I didn't forget about it. I just didn't want to go down the Jack Black rabbit hole. (laughs) Ah, Jack Black rabbit. But Jack Black was a massive Dio fan. Oh, Still is. And somehow managed to get Dio on their album. And And in the movie. And in the movie. And I think he also did a a music video with them, too. But, like, they were were pretty tight. And, like... But that's also, like, really sweet. That's incredibly sweet because... uh, But having a hero like Dio and having, like, a ridiculous band like Tenacious T. Seriously. (laughs) And getting Dio to be like, yeah, I'll fucking do shit with you. That's awesome. And he did it. And, like, that's that was a total boon to Jack Black. Yeah. And I think the way you could interpret Dio is maybe somebody who would think he's too good, but he doesn't. But he doesn't. And he was he absolutely had the sense of humor to be like. Yeah, I'll fucking do this tenacious D shit. This is amazing and hilarious. I love yeah. it. Yeah. It's so good. Yeah. And doesn't so many people like Tony Iommi and Richie Blackmore. These mm-hmm. people take themselves so fucking seriously that oh, they yeah. would not be cool doing something like that. Seriously. But Dio has always been a genuinely humble person, even if he hasn't always been the greatest person. Yeah. He's still humble enough to be like, this is really cool, and I really love that you guys love my shit so much that you right. would want me to do this with you. Yeah, and, and I think like, that's like a good. He I can think take that's a the great piss. interpretation of him. Yeah, he could take the piss out of himself, absolutely, which is great. You know, not. I, I think there are plenty of musicians in this world who cannot do that. Oh no, not at all. And a lot of them are fucking stuffy ass white dudes from the metal met, metal genre. The metal, metal genre. genre. But honestly, from the metal genre, <laughs> yeah. a lot of dudes will not take the piss. Yeah, they take themselves so seriously, and it's it's great to me that somebody that was and still is as massively huge and influence, influential as and iconic Dio. and just yeah and the fact that he could still take the piss out of himself and just be just a really genuinely cool dude also he had a very amazing relationship with his fans he yeah. was the kind of person who would not leave a venue until every single person got a hey how are you and got something signed oh. if people like mobbed him and wanted autographs and whatever he would stay there and sign every single one like all the dudes in black sabbath are like good we gotta go and he's like no there's fans out here i'm going to give them what they want 
So he had a really, really awesome relationship with all of his fans. And he made sure to give every single one the time that they deserved. Yeah. And that's great. People don't do that. Yeah. I think what it is, is at the end of the day, like, it's hard to be a person who he wants. He was a person who was Mm self-preserving, but also, like, kind. Right. And I think that's just a hard line to tell. Yeah, it is. I totally agree. And so, I mean, I think, yeah. And he it, probably does some things that's like, man, that's kind of not cool. But everybody does that. That just means he's real. Yeah, he's a real human. Or he and was. It It really upsets me that, once again, the awesome person that should still be here is not, is not here because of cancer or some bullshit illness or something or other has taken them away. Yeah. And... But people like fucking Keith Richards and Eric Clapton and all these fucking garbage dick offs are like <laughs> dick still offs. here. Fucking still here. Dick Let offs. me be a racist piece of shit. Or whatever. Yeah. Or whatever. Just like misogynistic, but racist, still here. whatever pieces of shit. <sighs> yeah. They'll die someday. And then we'll take over the world. <sighs> someday. Same someday. thing we do every night, Maggie. Try to take over the podcasting world and no one takes us seriously and we just sit here and laugh at our own dumb jokes. Yeah. All right. I'm okay (laughs) with that. This is fun. I like it. (laughs) Oh, wonderful. Thank you so much for listening, our Mm -hmm. lovely fans. Thank you so much for the lovely story, Ashley. Thanks for sticking it out. Yeah, it was a longer one, but I think it was fucking worth it. Worth it for a rendition of Rainbow in the Dark and Holy Diver. You know what? Honestly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I see his stripes and I know he's clean. <laughs> I see what you mean. I see what all of you mean. Yeah. He just went to the dry cleaner. That's it. That's what that means. That's what that means. Yeah. <laughs> well, and if you have any questions or stories or tales about Dio that you want to hit us up for, you can always toss us an email at contact us at rockcandypodcast.com. Just visit our website too, rockcandypodcast.com. You can find our social medias. We got Instagram and Facebook and Twitter. We like conversations. Those are fun. I like talking to people. So let us know how you felt. Yeah, about we've been this. getting some very nice emails and messages from people lately. Yeah, y'all been so nice. And it's been fantastic. I, I feel hearing... almost like gaslit in the opposite way. Can <laughs> people nicely gaslight you? I guess maybe, but like, like they don't really think we're that good. We've been getting a lot of emails with um uh artist suggestions oh my god and i love them all yes please keep them coming we love them yeah and we just, just or like, just we like hi. the chats we like the chats indeed happy happy to chat yeah yeah and we also have some merch if you want to you know get some cool shit I yeah guess. i don't know holidays uh, are coming up or something oh yeah they are so like i don't know if you know somebody like wants like a cool mug that says ringle dingle <laughs> You can get it from I our know store. I do. I'm getting you one now, you bitch. Please do. <laughs> oh my god. Um, That's gonna be your birthday gift. <laughs> but you could just go to T Public and search Rock Candy Podcast and find all of our delightful stuff, including stuff that was including our silly little faces drawn by my friend Chris. They look great. You did a wonderful job. They're adorable. We look so much more adorable than we actually do in yeah, real life. You did a very good job. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And also, your friend Chris has a lovely installation out. In oh Brooklyn yeah, he right does. Now. No, it's it's in Long Island. Long Island. I apologize. But Just look uh, for Chris Philhart. Chris Philhart on the Instagrams. It's C Philhart on, C. Philhart, on Instagrams, yeah. and he has amazing art. Oh my gosh, he really if you're does. In, if you're in that area, 
you should fucking go see it because it's it's his, I'm always in awe of his artwork since we were in high school. Yeah. I've always been jealous and in awe. I'm Captain I'm Captain J Jellies <laughs> about like anybody who could go see it because honestly that looks great. Yeah, so. go see it for us, please. That anyway. would that would be great. Yeah. So. Come back next week. We will not have a super duper long one, but I think one that is important. We're making to up tell anyway. for all the time, all of your precious time we took this yeah. week. <laughs> It'll be a shorter one, but just the sweet bitches. Oh yeah, way yeah. fun. Oh, I can't wait. So, um, until next time, party on Ashley. Party on Maggie. <laughs> there we go. Yeah. <laughs> Cans are hard. You you have a koozie. It's not it's not working. That's true. The koozie's cool though. Uh, and party on, you crazy kids out there. Like a rainbow in the dark. Yeah. yeah. No, no.